Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with ESPN's front office insider, Bobby Marks. At the end of a pretty wild day leading up to the NBA trade deadline, Chris Stapp's Porzingis traded to the Dallas Mavericks, the New York Knicks, now with two max salary slots, and Anthony Davis's saga continuing a week until the trade deadline as the Lakers try to find a way to partner him with LeBron James. A lot to talk about with Bobby Marks. Let's get right to it. At the end of what would have been, if it was trade deadline day, a fairly wild trade deadline, except there's still seven days until the trade deadline, but here with ESPN's NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks. And uh, Bobby, let's start here. New York's deal with Dallas to send out not only Chris Epps, Porzingis, but the salaries of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee and to bring back couple expiring contracts and obviously, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., who they talked about for a while, who they see as an asset, and then two first-round picks. Talk about what led to that trade and why New York had to go down that road. But for the Knicks' purposes of trying, number one, to get value for a player in Chris Porzingis, who, you know, not so long ago they saw as a, as a legitimate franchise player, to get value for him coming off an ACL but then also to get those contracts off now that allow the Knicks to have two max slots in free agency. Did did they get enough for all of it? Well, I think when you I think you can break it down into two separate trades here. We always thought that to get rid of the Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee contracts, you were going to have to attach a draft pick there. Um, based on there were not many teams out there looking to take back money that goes into two thousand nineteen. And you wind up getting two back. One is an unprotected, and the, and the second one has a top ten protected. It will all depend on uh, Dallas conveying that first to Atlanta. With with Kristaps, the time was running out here. You had a one-week window from Thursday to the deadline to either keep him and be content on paying him a big a big contract, probably a close a max contract, come July one, or move him. And that's the decision you made. Are you ever going to get the true value for a franchise player? No. But here's a player that was coming off injury, had not played. So Dallas is taking him on. Right. And essentially threatening to take the qualifying offer and then becoming an unrestricted free agent in 2020 and then risk getting nothing for him. The, the qualifying offer would have been a doomsday scenario. We have not seen that happen for a player. Not on, on that caliber. Not on that caliber. I think I said there's been 15. We saw Rodney Hood, Nerlens Noel, that, those yeah. type of players. But that would have been a huge gamble. 4.4 million to turn down 150 yeah. plus. Well, we'll never know if he we'll would have done it. We'll never know. And yeah. the other thing is too is let's say he did go through free agency and a team like Brooklyn came in with an offer sheet. A two-year offer sheet with a player mm-hmm. option for the third. What that would have done was that would have, if New York would have matched, he would have been not tradable for a year because of uh, the matching clause. And then he would have been, then the clock would have started because he would have been a potentially a free agent after that second year. So now you get, you kind of, you kind of clean your cap sheet. We'll see what happens this summer. Uh, is it a failure if they miss out on two guys or one guy? Not necessarily because there's flexibility going going forward here, but that is a hard sell 
where I'm pitching $71 million <laughs> in cap space. Uh, we know who. They gotta get one. You gotta, get, gotta one. get one. And, and here's why you have to get one. When you look at the summer of 2019, this is a loaded class with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. We know who the, the Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler. 2020, 2020 is not very appealing. Uh, outside of Anthony Davis, who will likely want some down the road be traded and whoever he can tra- you know, is, will likely sign. You're really looking at Draymond Green and a lot of guys who are going to be on Ben Simmons if he doesn't extend on, on mm-hmm. who are restricted free agents. So there is a huge drop off. So the, the, the spin it say, well, we still have cap flexibility. Well, who are you going to spend it on? We'll, we'll get into this, but I mean, what's really interesting, the two New York teams, two LA teams, seven right now, seven max salary spots among the four teams. Brooklyn and New York now both have two. The Clippers have two and the Lakers have one. And it'll be interesting to see, um, listen, we could have a revival or a renaissance of New York and LA basketball if they all just get one that Nets are set up to be pretty good, and I don't know if they're going to get a big free agent, but they're on their way. They're going to become appealing, for I think, for players. The way it went south in New York for Porzingis, and this, this didn't start when he walked into with Scott Perry and Steve Mills on Thursday morning. They weren't shocked at what he told them. They had seen it coming. There has been acrimony, and it didn't start with this regime, although Steve Mills is a carryover. It goes back to Phil Jackson, and it's continued here, and he has never felt on board with that organization, and I think the injury isolated him. You know, he left and went away, and he came back, and it's never been quite the same since he skipped that exit meeting with Phil Jackson uh, a couple years ago. But I think for the Knicks, they wanted to go out and, and be able to recruit, wanted to recruit big free agents, and... They had a player who, it was no mystery around the league, and it was no mystery among other players. Didn't like being there, didn't want to be there anymore. And obviously went in and told them that today. And how quickly they moved. And they had been having some conversations with Dallas. And they had talked about a bunch of different things over recent weeks. They had talked about Dennis Smith. They had talked about, you know, the bigger money dump because they were a team with space. And then all of a sudden it became Porzingis. And when New York called Dallas and... And said, hey, let's really talk about Porzingis. Dallas didn't want to let him off the phone. They said, let's get this done. And and it was done. But it was pretty remarkable. From our reporting of there was a meeting, and then there's a trade request, and then there was a trade. That's not how it usually happens. No, usually it happens is that you say, oh, let me get back to you. Let me call my owner. There was no let me call my owner because I'm sure Mark Cuban was in the room when they when the, the phone call was made. And I think a lot of this goes back to two years ago, the draft of uh, 2016. Remember when we heard Porzingis' name in, in rumors to Phoenix? Oh, they weren't oh, rumors. Yeah. He was in – and you look back at it, Bobby, and Phoenix could have – if they were willing to give up that number four pick, which was Josh Jackson, they would have gotten him. The other one last year when Kyrie Irving was available in Cleveland, two years ago I guess – if the Knicks were willing to go back to Cleveland when they were shopping Kyrie Irving, you know, there were conversations where if the Cavs were willing to take on Joakim Noah's money at the time, Porzingis would have been in play there and he, he was in play. Cleveland wouldn't do that. And Scott Perry did call New Orleans to see if there was any combination of Porzingis and whatever else could get him Anthony Davis and they were told no. And so, I think part of it was the organization knew 
where this was headed and they were open to moving him. But um, pretty remarkable it happened in just a few hours and, and it's over. Well, I mean, we re- you reported it at lunchtime, well, close to lunchtime, and the tornado came through around 2.30. I mean, that is as quick as a, a turnaround at... We were, wait a minute, were we eating lunch together and I ran off? I'm trying to remember. You did. It was a blur. You, didn't, yeah. you did not come back. And uh, <laughs> I figured once you, you did not come back, I had to throw your food away. So, uh, but yes. And then, uh, but yeah, I mean, usually we're one week away from the trade deadline uh, and... There is a slow, usually a slow build up here. Yep. Last year, I, we were talking, there was 18 trades. I think 14 of them happened like the Monday to that Thursday. Mm-hmm. And none of them, I mean, this is a franchise level player, went healthy, um, not on an, expi- on an expiring, but technically no, because restricted free agency and is now moved to Dallas to pair with Luka Doncic, another franchise level player, which is, uh, which is intriguing. This isn't what Chris Saps Porzingis, his brother Giannis, is his agent. It's not what they had in mind, but I think the more they start to wrap their arms around it, they're going to be embraced by that organization. And I think that's what Chris Saps wants. I think he wants to feel embraced by a place. He loved New York, and he really loved the garden. He loved the pressure. I remember being with Chris Saps his first day in New York. First day he came pre-draft, he had not been drafted by the Knicks, and I remember riding in the back of a car with him. We were going to lunch. I was going to do an interview with him, and I remember him creening his head out, like kind of looking up at the skyscrapers. He had never been to New York, and it was pre-draft, and I mean, listen, there were some nights at the Garden where it felt like this was going to be this long, happy partnership. I mean, he was, he, he turned New York on its head, and um, but I do think Dallas, for him, certainly partnering with Doncic, and then... You know, Dirk Nowitzki, we'll, we'll see what, if this is indeed Dirk's last season and does Dirk have a role around that organization? Does he continue to come around? I don't know if he's going back to Germany or if he stays. And my thought is, listen, he can work, he'll work there forever if that's what he wants for Mark Cuban. But that's one of his idols. And in a lot of ways, when he came in the league, the comparisons were always made to Dirk. And, you know, he was a, like a souped up version, like a souped up model of Dirk. And so I think it won't take long for him. It's just an organization that has embraced the European player. They built the organization around several of them, and and uh, I don't think it's going to be very long until he's pretty enthusiastic about being there. Getting traded is not easy. I mean, it's a uh, it's a shot to your ego. Um, you don't get to pick the place where you go to, um, and it's kind of a reality reality check here. And I look at Dallas where. They've missed out on, you know, out in free agency the last what, four or five years. Have not have been able to go out and get a big time free mm-hmm. agent. Uh, here is their opportunity, but you had to give up, you know, two picks to do so and take back contracts also. Yeah. And their recent draft, not just their recent draft history, they've missed on a lot of picks. Yeah. They have not listen. They hit it on Luka Doncic, and they and they had to give up another pick to get him, which is fine. When you get a player like that, you'll give up one. But they've missed on so many guys. And what happens is, all of a sudden, to me, when you miss on that many picks and you're not developing your own players, all of a sudden, you're giving Wes Matthews a max contract. You're giving Chandler Parsons a max contract. And these aren't even, they're not A-level guys. They're probably not B-level guys. I mean, you end up overpaying for, they're not marginal free agents. They're very good players. But even Harrison Barnes, I mean, they're, they're paying him significant money and it just throws your whole salary structure out of whack, and now all of a sudden you've got a 23-year-old Chris Porzingis, a 19-year-old Luka Doncic, and you can start to see now an avenue for them 
to be pretty good again. Well, and I think when you when you look at teams that draft poorly, your good players can only camouflage your mistakes for so long. I mean, we're starting to see that in Memphis with uh, Marc Gasol and Mike Conley getting a little bit older, and they've missed on a bunch of draft picks. Um, we, you know, we had it in New Jersey when, you know, we had you know Jason Kidd and Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson, that group, and they played at a high level, and you thought they were going to be at that level for a long time. But when you miss out on draft picks, you know, Marcus uh, Williams, Josh Boone, Antoine Wright, Sean Williams. That next layer of players waiting to come up uh, is not there. So when Jason Kidd gets older, you're wait, you're waiting for Marcus Williams to kind of step into that role, and you don't have that. And that's the same thing in in Dallas here. And um, you know, I think going back, besides Luca, they're probably their, one of their better drafts was Josh Howard. Yeah, and that was in 2003. Yeah. I want to say 30th pick or 29th um, pick that year. Yeah, yeah, but either yeah. they've traded away picks, Rajon yeah. Rondo, or yeah. they've missed out on Shane Larkin. Yeah, um, but now they've kind of hit a little bit of a reset because I think they realize, you know what. It does work. When you draft a player like Luca, it kind of gives you, it's like the Donovan Mitchell yeah, effect in yeah. Utah. And I think Dallas has been humbled. I think there was this feeling that we are a free agent destination. We had had all this success built around Dirk Nowitzki for a very long time, won a championship. And like you said, they go through and the first time around, they don't get Dwight Howard. They don't get DeAndre Jordan. Uh, they don't get, you know, any number of big free agents. And we talked about the guys that had to overpay on. So, uh, yeah, so this certainly sets a course. For Dallas, New York now, we know who they're going after. We know Durant is their focus, and they're hoping that Kevin Durant decides that after winning his third straight title or or not winning a title that he wants to go take on something that will be completely about him and do it in New York, and that that's what they're selling. Scott Perry, the Knicks GM, was with the Seattle Sonics. He was the assistant GM with Sam Presti in all of their first year together. When Portland took Greg Oden, passed on Kevin Durant, and then, you know, obviously Durant uh, went number two to the Sonics, and obviously they moved to Oklahoma City. And so, but it's a, listen, for all the reasons that people think Durant may consider this or is going to consider this, and I do think it is a consideration. I think the Clippers will be a consideration if they got another big player, because it's L.A. You know, a player of Durant's stature, of his accomplishment, Still going to have to swallow pretty hard to go to a team that right now is is maybe one of the two or three worst of the entire NBA. Well, uh, and what happens in on May fourteenth will have a big impact, right? As far as where that lottery balls fall, as far as if New York is picking one, uh, and that will impact, you know, a player like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker, players like that, because right now you are selling. You know, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, you're selling your young base and that's, you know, what you're basically going to do is you're going to walk into your free agent meeting and it's, and it's rare that you can say to that player, pick who you want to play with. Pick a teammate, um, because usually you have one max slot. The double Mm -hmm. max is not, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't happen along, um, very often here and you have to sell not just what's going to happen in 2019. It's going to be like, What's going to happen next? This is a not just, this is not a finished, uh, finished product right now, but it, it is hard to go in there. I mean, we did it in 2010. Um, we weren't in New York City. We were in Newark. Um, and we were 12 and 70 and had double, ma- a double max slot. That was the year when, you know, all the big LeBron and Bosch and Wade. And I always tell the story and is that 
we went in there, met with those guys, and pretty, I pretty felt we had a pretty good chance until Bosch came in with like movie cameras and was filming a documentary, and, and we thought we we knew we were out of it, <laughs> and then. And then what happens is, is that and somebody was really late. Who came in late? I think Dwayne Wade was yeah. late. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. And then uh, what happens is, is that when you miss out, this is the, this will be the test of Nick's patience. When you miss out on guys, then what do you do? Do you go out and throw big money at Tobias Harris or Chris Middleton or you know the, the next layer good players? Who is the guy you guys signed? You had to amnesty him the next year. Outlaw. Uh, we uh, I always say we signed the law firm of Jordan Farmer, <laughs> Travis Outlaw, Travis Outlaw, Johan Petro, <laughs> and Anthony Morrow. And uh, uh, I was kidding around with uh, SVP, and he said. Were you responsible for that? And I said, no, I was not. In that se- I was not in a senior role yet. The, the Boston trade, I'll take part re- part credit for, but that and and the big- Avery Johnson wanted outlaw. Do you remember he did, that? Yeah. and and we and when and Travis was wound up, and he was the far the, the amnesty rule came in the year after, and we wanted he was the first guy amnestied. But and the best part, I don't know if I've ever told this, is that we uh, we gave a four year, thirty two million dollar offer sheet to Tyrus Thomas, mm-hmm. and he agreed. And then Michael Jordan and Charlotte came in and gave him a better offer. And uh, we wound up getting out of that deal, and, and, and Thomas was out of the league two years later. So that would have been a – that would have been something special with that group there. Um, so that's the reason, like, where you – just because you have the money, don't right. panic and go out and sign, like, marginal guys yeah. to give you – to get you to 30 wins. Bobby, speaking of salary cap space, I'm not sure there was a team as excited on Thursday – as Los Angeles Lakers, because what they need to happen right now is for things to get mucked up. If things stay status quo, if they follow along in the sequence with which most of the league expects, which is Kyrie Irving honors his word, honors his preseason commitment to resign with the Celtics. The Celtics are really good. They get to a conference final. They get to the NBA finals. He resigns. And they have a very secure future with Irving. That makes the Lakers' pathway to Anthony Davis that much more difficult. But what the Lakers saw happen today, what the league saw was the Knicks create the space and the hope in L.A. that somehow Kyrie is becoming unfastened in Boston and that Danny Ainge is going to have to somehow this spring hesitate before he trades all his assets for Anthony Davis because he worries Davis and Kyrie could both walk out the door on him. Now, Kyrie has, for all the talk around the league, and we've heard it, I think there's a lot of presumption out there that Kyrie has this fascination with New York, that somehow he wants to be there. And I do think he grew up in northern Jersey. I do think he's fond of the garden. But there's certainly a lot of wishful thinking out there that Kyrie's in play. Now, he has been very clear with Boston since the preseason in recent weeks and recent days that he's committed to the Celtics and the Celtics are moving forward with the idea that they will get involved with Anthony Davis after the season and they would just like for New Orleans to not trade Anthony Davis before Thursday's trade deadline. Wait for them. They'll make the best offer and then they have Davis and Kyrie Irving and they hope that secures Irving. But there was a glimmer of hope in L.A. today. I think they're looking for some some belief that New Orleans will have to do business with them. And it's a unique game of posturing, of 
all these different agendas, a lot of people trying to move pieces along the chessboard. We've seen this kind of thing in free agency for years, but this this is a high-stakes one because it's Anthony Davis. And there's two reasons. One, we haven't seen a player, as you said, in Anthony Davis, a top-five player in the NBA, become become available. The second is, is that we haven't seen a situation where the team that probably has the best assets in players in and the second is that the team that has the draft picks, the young players that are tradable, can't make a deal at the deadline because of, I'm going to call it the Kyrie Irving rule, the designated rookie extension rule, where they basically have to sit on the sidelines till, yes, they can talk with New Orleans and try to get some type of framework or an understanding of what it would take, but, you know, there's nothing preventing New Orleans to go out and highly unlikely go out and get a deal if the Lakers come to the table and basically give them what they want. And if you're Los Angeles, you want that pitch to Kyrie Irving when it comes to July 1 to be pretty strong because that opens up a lot of different opportunities there for you. And it's basically no Kyrie Irving, and that basically takes them out of the Anthony Davis running because then that would be – a high-risk move based on a one-year rental here. What will be interesting to me is how much Danny Ainge is going to convey to New Orleans, how specific he's going to have to be between now and the trade deadline to hold off. And I mean, this is such a unique circumstance because if you're New Orleans, we know who you want in that deal. You want Jason Tatum in that deal. Boston's still trying to win a championship this year. They're still focused on trying to get this team together get Gordon Hayward right, and the idea that you would have an understanding with a team with you know months left in the season that you're going to put you know, a young star in a deal and keep it quiet and make sure he doesn't find out. Remember, Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving are both represented by the same agent, Jeff Wexler, and I can't imagine it going that way. I think what Ainge is going to tell them, and I think what they're telling them is, we're open to everything. We're going to have the best offer. And in the end, if Boston doesn't have the best offer, guess what? The Lakers' offer is really not going to change. It'll be, I don't know, maybe they'll offer two first-rounders. Maybe they'll become three for whatever it is. Or the other thing L.A. could do later, too, is if the Pelicans say, we don't love you know, a couple of these players that potentially be in the deal, see if you can go flip them with a third team because we'd rather have that player, see if you can get him. And, and I think, too, right now the Pelicans are watching – Del Demps and their front office are watched the Laker team over the last month without LeBron James. You got a window into what your team might look like. Wasn't that pretty? There were some moments, but you're not getting back one star. There's not a star among them. Well, and, it's, and what it's showing is it's an open audition for. Uh, it's almost like a job interview for the you know for the next three months if there's no deal by next week. Yeah, I think it's hard for Boston, for Danny Ainge to have a handshake agreement and know what the principles are going to be where, yes, it's one thing to say, you know what, we'll give you the Sacramento pick or that Memphis pick or the Clippers or even our own. But it's another thing to say, well, here are the players that we'll we'll put in. Jason Tatum or Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that getting the money to work when it gets to free agency because now you take Terry Rozier off the board likely, you take Marcus Morris off the board and 
the likelihood is that one of these big contracts, a Gordon Hayward type number, if Marcus Smart maybe is not involved, is going to have to be involved to, to do that. The other thing is if, if I'm Al Horford, who's got a player option here, I am not opting in until I have a handshake agreement with Danny Ainge mm. saying, I will opt in, but you will not trade me here. And yes, you can't legally do that, but um, that would be something else <laughs> if that happened. That was just an interesting <laughs> little aside. <laughs> they can't legally do it, but... <laughs> Well, you can, but you just don't get caught. Right, right. <laughs> this is a fascinating one, and I and I just think the Lakers are, you know, listen, Rich Paul, Anthony Davis's agent, you know, word has certainly made its way among the teams. And and speaking of legality, I mean, like, Rich Paul doesn't have permission to talk to the teams on behalf of Anthony Davis. New Orleans hasn't given that permission. But teams can back channel, and they can find out where a player's mindset is. They can find out lots of different ways. And the message that's been coming back to every team who's inquired about Anthony Davis is that if you trade for him, he'll be a rental for you, and he'll sign with the Lakers in 2020. Now, that's what you have to say to try to depress the market a little bit. I think some teams want to see if that's what's going to be said after the trade deadline. Boston has confidence that... If they have Kyrie Irving solidified and if they traded Anthony Davis there, that, you know, most guys love playing in Boston and love the environment. People have enjoyed playing for Brad Stevens and obviously they have a Hall of Fame executive in Danny Ainge and, or a potential Hall of Fame executive in Danny Ainge and, and all the things that come with playing there. And I think Boston has a confidence that, you know, give us a year, we'll convince you to stay and, and you'll be here. And you would have to take less money to go to LA if we already have you. And, and so I don't think Boston's going to be scared off on this by the outside or by the idea that Anthony would walk on them, but they have to be very cognizant of where they are with Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie got up in front of a crowd in the preseason, said he's staying. And you've been through this, Bobby, in New Jersey and then Brooklyn, first with Jason Kidd, then with Darren Williams about having to convince a star point guard to stay and all the things that go on internally uh, measuring the guy's temperature you know it was a roller coaster with both guys as you're recruiting them and there's a stress around that in an organization and I think especially for Boston where you just don't think anybody was going to walk away from what they have there and while Kyrie says he's solid and there's no reason to doubt him on his word until you got the guy signed, you, you just don't know. Well, I think Kyrie is probably more comparable to Jason Kidd, uh, who we, you know, got in a trade in 2001 and, and had a two-year window to really recruit him. And uh, we didn't think we'd be where we'd be going to two NBA finals. And still to, you know, we went to we went to two finals and really probably should have lost him to San Antonio. Um, you know, hadn't been for his wife who really, you know, convinced him to stay because it would, it was going to benefit her, uh, career also. And yeah, I think Darren was a little bit different because, uh, we got him in a trade. We'd missed out on Carmelo in 2011. We had got him in a trade. And that's when you're speaking of, you know, quick trade demands, right? With Darren Williams, very quick trade demand. And he was out almost as quickly as Chris Epps was today. It, it was similar. You know, it's funny. Well, we we uh, we had found out on that Monday. This is when you could make trades after All Star Weekend. The Monday that uh, Carmelo was going to New York, 
And the next morning, I walked up to Billy King's office, and he said, what do you think about this deal? <laughs> it was Darren Williams. And uh, that was done the next, you know, basically, we was kind of, we slept on it. And that was done the next day. I mean, that was, nobody knew about that. That was a, that he, was a quick one. He had had the falling out with Jerry Sloan. And management just said, we are siding with Jerry. Yeah. We're not going down this road. And before anybody knew, it was New Jersey still. Yeah, we were still in Newark. We were still in Newark. Newark. Yeah. You, were in, you were in Newark. And, and Derek Favors and two firsts among the it deals. It was uh, Derek Favors, Derek Favors uh, Devin Harris. Yeah, that's right. Two number ones that turned into Ennis Cantor, I mm-hmm. think, was one of them. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but Darren was different because we weren't very good. And we were going to Brooklyn eventually. And we really had to go out and make deals to try to convince him to stay. A little bit different in Boston where, you know, you went out and got Gerald Wallace and Joe, I mean, if the, Joe Johnson, the, the crazy part about Joe, I don't think anybody knows about this. The Joe Johnson trade was <laughs> that we did that deal without a commitment from Darren Williams. You know, we agreed to that in late June and, um, there we, we hadn't even met with Darren yet. Um, and then when Darren, we met with Darren on July 1st, uh, I mean, we didn't know until July 4th, I think he, um, mm-hmm. and the, the, the best part was is that, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever, we ever talked about it, but he'd come to, he'd come to the, we met with him and he'd come to the facilities for four days in a row and work out without That's giving right. us an answer. <laughs> so he'd, he'd drive in and you'd see him and then he'd go work out with our coaches. Is he staying? Is he committing? And by the third day... I remember Billy King saying to me, "You know what? I'm just going to walk away. What's it? We're going to we're going to go out and go get Goran Dragic." And I said to him, "Billy, you, we can. I mean, we just traded for Gerald. <laughs> we signed Gerald Wallace. We gave a pick turn to Damian Lillard, Joe Johnson. Um, in hindsight, we probably should have just walked away and gone right. after Goran Dragic. But you hadn't <laughs> invested so much, right? So when you look at it, you you know, D- Jason was different because he had a good team already." Like Boston, um, Darren was basically, you go out and make those, and that's the hard part when you go out and make a guy, you get a guy on a, on a rental, technically, mm-hmm. you go out and make some bad deals to, to try to appease that player there. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing Boston has been able to do, and Danny Ainge has done in this last run, really since he put together the big three, since they lose out in the draft lottery in 2008, right, to Durant, Draft lottery. Mm-hmm. They lose out. They get the fifth pick, and they're looking at, instead of Kevin Durant or Greg Oden, they're looking at the fifth pick becomes Jeff, Jeff Green, Green, right? Yeah. And they trade that pick to Seattle. Yeah. Sam Presti and Scott Perry. Yeah. Send back Ray Allen, and and then they get Garnett, and they've yep. got Pierce. And then, obviously, from their trade with Brooklyn to the Kyrie Irving trade, they gave up nothing in the Kyrie Irving trade, looking back. I mean... You know, Isaiah, unfortunately, was injured and, and was headed toward these difficult last couple of years. Yeah. You know, one pick among the multitude of picks Boston had. They do the Fultz-Jason Tatum trade, get another pick, get the player they wanted in Tatum, let the Sixers take Fultz number one, they take Tatum three. Everything Boston's done has been from a position of strength. And I think how Boston has to look at this with Anthony Davis is they're not just trading for Anthony Davis at the end of the season. They're not putting a package together to acquire Anthony Davis. I think they have to look at it as we're acquiring Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving. And given that they didn't really give up much of anything for Irving, that really just the pick, and, and, and obviously an injured Isaiah Thomas, he wasn't the same anymore. That's why I think Boston 
I don't think they're going to be outbid for Anthony Davis. I think they understand we aren't in this position of strength that this is one we really have to do. And I do think for the first time that there's pressure on Boston to get a deal done. And think of all the other ones they walked away from. Jimmy Butler in Chicago, Paul George in Indiana. They could have had all these guys. And they they always said, Nat, price is too much. We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll accumulate these picks and talent. We have cap space. Oh, we'll go get Gordon Hayward. And yet this is one where I think there is some real pressure on age. Well, and also Kawhi Leonard, too. You know, you didn't ever it's really a, stuck. It's your, another you know, one. You know, you're yeah. both feet in the, in the deep end here. And this is what, I mean, this is what they've been waiting for. This is why they have four first-round picks to go out. and Because and, those picks will not be there in 2020. Um, maybe that Clipper pick, if it, if it rolls over, or maybe even that Memphis. That Memphis pick could turn out to be a good, a really good pick out of these, uh, out of these mm-hmm. four here. And, you know, to become a, you know, a buyer, as I say, you got to be a seller, and it's going to cost you Tatum or Brown. It's going to cost you multiple, you know, first round picks here. It's going to cost you another marquee player. But this is, you know, this is it. This, this is, is what they've yep. been waiting for. He's put all his, you know, it's you know, it's like putting all the money in the bank. Yeah. Eventually, you got to take the money out of the bank. Yeah. A couple other things heading the trade deadline. It feels like we're at the end of it. We have another week to go here. Marcus Saul, Mike Connolly. Market's been interesting for them. There is interest in both. It's a question of can Memphis get offered enough to make it worth it? There are deals they can do, but you know, what can they get back for them? That, that'll be interesting. And I think you're going to see a lot of stuff around the edges, a lot of money moving around, teams moving in and out of the tax. I think teams are much more open in this trade deadline to put 2019 first round picks in the deals because I don't think any of them are terribly enthusiastic about this draft. Well, I think it's, you know, you mentioned Gasol and Conley. What else happens to the rest of the roster? And um, uh, Garrett Temple, uh, Justin J- Holiday, guys yeah. like you know you can move Holiday just by himself. Yeah, those guys all have some yeah, value. Players like Wayne Ellington. There, uh, I think the intriguing thing will be what after the deadline the buyout market's going to. Gonna I, I think it's going to be fascinating. How many guys are you know maybe DeAndre Jordan, Wes Matthew guys who were just acquired. Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker, Robin, Robin Lopez, Lopez, Ennis Cantor. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens if Jeremy Lin is moved at mm-hmm. the um, at the deadline. Does Charlotte make him try to make a move to uh, get uh, an upgrade with Kemba Walker entering mm-hmm. through free agency? Mm-hmm. They're kind of hanging on to that last. I, that I last think Charlotte's spot. an interesting team to watch with Marcus Saul. I think that's a fit. I think it's certainly a player age wise that you you put with. Kemba Walker to say, hey, we'll try to be pretty, you know, be as good as we can over the next few years here. And, but you try to figure out what would a deal look like for them. They have contracts that nobody's real enthusiastic about taking on. Yeah. And you, I think you're starting to see some separation in the West with the standings. Um, I think New Orleans, besides Anthony Davis, will be, uh, interesting. Um, Nikola Mirotich, Julius Randle, mm-hmm. you know, players like that that you can get for, you know, four months. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if teams are giving up ones for those guys just for yeah. that. And then, you know, also, you know, the wild card is Oklahoma City is that, you know, they've got a $74 million tax bill. They got a $10.8 million trade exception. You know, are you, you know, do you have the power to go out and use that because it will get awfully expensive, but they're, they're pretty good as is right now. Yeah. There's going to be a lot and, uh, be interesting to see over this weekend, Bobby. History tells us there's not usually a lot on that Saturday and Sunday. Teams kind of regroup over the weekend, and Super Bowl Sunday has fallen here in the last 
as I remember, the last few years, Super Bowl Sunday, leading into trade deadline week. And I've always felt, I'm going to regret saying this, because then something's going to happen. But typically, there's not much happening that Sunday night, because, you know, most guys are really watching the game. And I think it's harder to get owners on the phone. They're having, they're having parties. Some of them are at the game. They're out. Like, you're not, I don't feel like something's going to happen Sunday night. But again, we'll be vigilant. And then Monday morning, everybody comes back in the office early, and you sort of everybody gets a second wind, and now you know you're looking on the board, and, and people are getting serious about you know what exactly we're zeroing in on. But this was, you know, for a week out of, of trade deadline, um, I don't remember anything quite like. Uh, usually, there's one trade this week, two trades, but the Porzingis one was a fun one. So, well, and especially that um, you know Blake happened on January 29th. That's right. So it's like we can, now we're gonna have to pay attention for those last three days in January here, and that something happened. And but it did th- take from the Super Bowl. Like this week has been the NBA has really. Oh, the NBA's taken over. I mean, week. we're we're here in Bristol, and you know we fly in and out of Sports Center, and you're sort of measuring, like, what's the top of the show? Is it Brady and Belichick, or is it Porzingis and Anthony Davis? And you know, the combination of Anthony Davis and having the Lakers involved—that's like news on steroids. But even like the Blake Griffin trade was a big deal, and it came out of nowhere and it surprised everybody. But it was over, and then you talked about the aftermath. The Anthony Davis thing may be with us for a while, and so it's like, as you know, like trade market is a sport unto itself. People forget the games are on some nights. And the saving grace is that the trade deadline is not after the All Star break. Oh. That we wouldn't have three more weeks of this. That we actually get, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll have some closure, and then we'll worry about who's going to get bought yeah. out and go from there. But in, and then it will lead into a. Uh, we'll talk down the road about it. Will lead into a fascinating summer of big name free agents out there. Probably one of the better classes. Uh, that we will see in the big, big markets in New York and Brooklyn and, uh, LA and <laughs> Chicago. I mean, we have a show for Tencent, which is our Chinese partner. And I do this kind of bi-monthly show now for them. And one of the things, sometimes they like to hear stories and they, they were asking me for my all-star game memories. And I don't have them because most all-star weekends, they were prior to the trade deadline. And I'm thinking, I said, what about that first LA all-star game? And I'm like, all star weekend. I'm going, all I remember is it was a prelude to the Carmelo Anthony trade. And I really just remember being in my room on the phone and all those all star weekends that were prior to the trade deadline. I'm like, I'm like, guys, I don't have all star memories. I just remember being on my phone somewhere, but now it is better. It's post deadline. You got the buyout stuff, but it's not quite as intense. You can actually. Walk outside for a few minutes, see the sun. And we could probably think that the Marcus Cousins trade from a couple of years ago and on why the NBA changed the rule when Cousins basically got yeah. traded. So that was an easier one. All-star, I was home. I remember we, I broke that. I, I didn't go to that game. I was home, which made it easier to remember work 